Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, April 25th, 2022, and this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I'm Guy Ero. I, I don't really got anything else to say today. Uh, <laughs> we are doing bowfin. I'm really excited about that. So I think you all are going to like the fish we picked today. Bowfin are super cool. We're going to be talking very broadly about them first. And then we're going to hear very specifically from someone who's familiar with the species from kind of a unique angle. And that person is Tony Brady. Tony's the deputy project leader at the Wallaca National Fish Hatchery in Florida. So welcome, Tony. Thank you. Yeah. So I thought for fun today, maybe we could do a round robin. So just kind of the first thing that comes to mind about this fish, one word, one thought. Guy, you want to go first? Sure. I like that they kind of got this stealth mode to them where they cruise forward and backwards through the weeds without even using their body. They just got their undulating dorsal fin. And I think that's really neat. Okay. Tony, go. Shoe pick. Ooh, okay. Mudfish. Okay. Dogfish. Cottonfish. <laughs> Rental. They got a lot of names. They have a lot of names, but shoe pick is probably my favorite. Before moving to Florida, I was in the Natchitoches National Fish Hatchery in Louisiana and picked up the Cajun names for a lot of fish species. And so the Cajun, French Cajun for bowfin is Shoepik. Cool. That's really cool. I love all these fish names we come across on this show. Well, that's the thing. Like I said, you know, I've lived in the Midwest, lived in the Southeast, Louisiana, Florida, and it seems like everywhere you go, they have a different preferred local name grunnel up in virginia dogfish in the midwest mudfish in florida shoepick in louisiana when you go somewhere different you got to stop and ask what do you call this fish i know what it is but what do you call it Mm -hmm. know that in the local dialect so that you know when you're talking to the locals you understand the terminology that they're using yeah that's a good that's good advice so i'll i'll go not a snakehead. That's true. We recently had a guest talk about snakehead, and these fish do have some similarities. They've got kind of that long dorsal fin, but their anal fins are smaller, and they're native, whereas snakeheads are not from around here. So I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on on that, but it's it's basically, you know, don't confuse this fish with the snakehead. And, you know, these native species do have that intrinsic value and probably some cultural values other places as well, Tony, down in Florida. I'd say that, you know, if somebody's going out fishing in waters, they're not familiar with species that could be there. It's always good to get a local fishing guide regulations. They normally have photographs of the species that you might catch in that state. And if there's snakehead and bowfin, they will have comparison pictures to help make sure that they, uh, people can know the difference and be on the watch out for snakehead. If you're not sure and you catch something you think's a snakehead, report it to the uh, local game fish commission so that they can be aware of it. And they can either say, yeah, we know it's there or, hey, we didn't. And we really appreciate it. Guy, you got another? Oh, are we doing more? Uh, They're one of few fish that have a guler plate on them. (laughs) Okay. I was thinking they're kind of thick, not with a CK, but with a CC. What does that mean? Thick. That new spelling for thick just means kind of chunky. Yeah, but what, is, what, what does it mean? Thick, chunky. Uh, 
That's okay. Yeah, I'm lost too. Yeah, I like fat. <laughs> kind of like that. Like just kind of a thick fish. That doesn't sound like a compliment. I I like this fish. Are we trying to insult it? I'm just. It's just an observation. <laughs> I if I told my mom or my sister if I I implied that to them, I would get slapped across the face. I don't think this is a compliment. We're not talking about your mom and sister. We're talking about this lovely fish. Good. <laughs> Tony, you got any more? Yes, the bowfin actually has a double skull. Ooh, so what? Okay. To protect their head, they have a double skull, and the males are very protective. They guard the uh, offspring for several weeks to the point where they'll even actually come up out of the water to chase off birds. And we've actually seen them come up out of our pond with a person standing there trying to scare the person off and come completely out of the water to run somebody away from their offspring. Interesting. Tony, I think out of all of us, you probably handled by far the most of the species. So would you mind kind of just describing what this fish looks like for folks? A bowfin is a torpedo-looking fish that, as Guy had mentioned, has a very long, undulating dorsal fin. Their caudal fin is rounded. The males are very distinctive with a black dot at the top of their caudal fin, giving it a, like a false eye. Very broad head, hard skull, has a mouthful of teeth, so you don't want to try to lip it like you would a largemouth bass. Greenish, black in color. The males in their, during breeding season, they get really colorful with a lot of uh, brilliant bright green and black contrasting in their fin color around their tail and everything. And otherwise, they're just very stealthy, kind of cruise through the water type fish. Yeah, they're beautiful when they're that color. I was looking online at some pictures and it's just a pretty neat look that they get when they're going into that spawning season. Yeah, I'd never even heard of the spawning coloration before. I was on the phone with Katrina. We were kind of talking about this episode a, a couple of weeks back, and she mentioned that, you know, bowfin are cool because they're green. And I'm like, none of the bowfin I've ever caught or come across were green. They're always somewhere on the spectrum between like a brown and a steely kind of gray. So when I looked those up, I was actually really impressed. I am kind of curious, though, about this sort of sexual dimorphism between the males and the females with this eye spot, because you'd think... A lot of eye spots are sort of used for predator avoidance to get them to go the wrong way. But to have that only develop in one of the sexes seems interesting. And I wonder if you know any more about that, Tony. Honestly, I don't. I just know that they are, uh, it's very unique with this species to have that dominant spot at the base of the tail. With the way the tail is shaped, it does give it a false head look with that long mm -hmm. undulating dorsal. If they are potentially trying to maneuver a uh, forage to the right end to be eaten. They could use that false eye and that head-shaped tail to potentially maneuver to get the prey to go in the direction they want to eat. They also, like I said, if they're protecting their brood and there's another bowfin there, what end should I attack? You know, the one with the big eye or the one with the smaller eye that looks, that can actually do the damage. When Katrina first suggested you as a guest, she mentioned that you worked in a hatchery with Bofin, which really kind of caught me off guard because when I think of hatcheries, I think of them either doing conservation work for threatened and endangered species or sort of sport fish work. And now Bofin 
as far as I know, they're not really a threatened species in at least much of their range. And in terms of being a sport fish, now maybe this is changing a little bit over the last decade where people are starting to target them for sport, but historically they've kind of been considered a rough fish or a trash fish. So hearing that they were uh, being propagated in a hatchery really kind of surprised me. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the purpose of your work. You're correct on all aspects. They are not a traditional sport fish. Most people think of them as rough fish or trash fish. However, there is a portion of our population in the Native American population, especially in South Florida, that consider bowfin as well as Florida gar to be a culturally significant species. And as these tribes are down in the Everglades where the fish populations are facing high mercury levels in the flesh, they want to have a way of stocking a closed canal with mercury-free fish so that they can continue their cultural significance and their fishing ways and teach their younger tribe members the history of what the tribe has done. So as part of the Fish and Wildlife Service and our tribal trust responsibilities, we are working with Peninsula Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office as well as one of these tribes to produce the bowfin to stock their canals. That way they're uh, replenishing. They went in and got all the evasives out, cleaned up a lot of vegetation out of the canal to make it more accessible for the tribe members to go out there and collect these fish that are of a significance for them. That's cool. And I've seen a lot of different hatcheries and kind of a lot of different ways that fish are reared. Sometimes it's like a long race ray. Sometimes it's a round kind of tub. What kind of facility do you guys have and how are you rearing these fish specifically? Kind of the whole process. Well, we're uh, using a open pond that throughout the year, we just let vegetation grow up in it where normally most of our ponds are kept either mowed or tilled. This one pond, we just let the vegetation go. Then in January, because latitude and attitude and everything, things get cooking a lot quicker down here in Florida. So we'll go out in January on the St. John's River, and we will electrofish as many bowfin as we can get our hands on. And we just release them into our pond. And there, all that vegetation that we've got growing in there, the males will use that to create these nests. And we'll lure the females in to lay eggs, and he'll fertilize them. And uh, we just do it all in an open pond. Beforehand, we will stock the pond with a lot of mosquito fish or some young, young of year sunfish from one of our other ponds so that there's like a forage base for the adults. And those young mosquito fish are a quick forage for the young bowfin. You mentioned that one of the driving factors for this whole project is issues with mercury in the fish. And so I'm curious, what factors make the fish that you're able to produce and reintroduce into the system lower in mercury than the ones that might otherwise naturally be occurring? Well, the Everglades is full of, because it's a huge filter, catching all this water coming down through central Florida, heading south, the mercury levels are just higher and you get bioaccumulation. So the small fish get it. The fish that eat them have more concentration in them. The larger predators then get a higher dose. The fish that we're raising here, because they are raised in our ponds, they're not subject to exposure to all that mercury. 
and we're able to take them mercury-free fish and put in a closed canal so they're not able to get out. And on top of the bow fin, we also stock largemouth bass for the tribe, bluegill, red-eared sunfish, golden shiners. So we're providing forage base for them to help keep the mercury-free fish for their uh, consumption. Yeah, and kind of bringing it back to the biology of the species. I mean, I'm guessing this is kind of a, a top-ish predator. They're big fish, predatory. Yes. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. So you mentioned rough fish as well and how people think of these as a rough fish or a trash fish. I know there is a, you know, a pretty big culture of folks out there that do fish for the species. Do you have any stories about fishing for them? Or Guy, I know you fish for them as well. I'm just kind of curious what that experience is like. I can tell you about my very first bowfin I ever caught. And I've never seen one before. I grew up in North Carolina and my dad and I took a guided fishing trip to South Carolina, the Santee Cooper Lakes, Lake Marion and Lake Moultrie. And we're out there catfishing, and I hook into a fish, and it's a good fight. Get it up to the boat, and the guide grabs the line, pulls it up, and sees it's a bowfin. Reaches down and grabs a bully stick, cracks it over the top of the head, and cuts the line. And I'm like, that's odd. You know, I didn't even get a chance to look at the fish I caught. And uh, he talked about, you know, of course, just the mentality was there are trash fish. They got a mouthful of teeth. I don't want to mess with them. They steal my bait, this type of attitude. When I get to Louisiana years and years later, I run into a guy who's actually trying to grow bowfin because you can eat the caviar and they call it Cajun caviar. And so it's a a business that he has kind of got going where he's out collecting wild fish, but he was trying to set up his own hatchery to raise bowfin. And then I come to Florida and I start raising them here. I'm glad you brought up bowfin caviar. It's interesting though, bowfin, the closest relatives are the gars, which, you know, you can eat the bowfin eggs as you were mentioning, but gar eggs are actually quite different and even poisonous to mammals and birds. Yeah, kind of to dovetail off that thought guy, what I was finding was really neat about bullfins is that they are the only living member of their genus, family, and order. So that would be like if only humans were alive and there was no other primates, right? So it's like a really kind of unique fish to kind of put it in, in lay terms there. And these fish have been around a long time. They've been around, I think, around 150 million years. So that's, you know, right around the time when the first birds were coming around. So a really neat old fish. And yeah, Tony, kind of your point to the rough fish piece um, and that guy just kind of whacking it out of the head and cutting your line. I, I'm just, I'm curious if you know any more about why these fish are considered a trash fish. I mean, they are a, a beautiful kind of neat fish and I'm guessing they're probably good to eat too. So. Well, that's the thing. One of their names is called cotton fish because if, depending on how you fix the flesh, it gives a cottony texture. So it's not very palatable to most people. What I've heard about them, I've never tried one myself, but I hear that when they're smoked, they're actually very delicious. But it's one of those things, not a lot of people smoke fish. You know, they either fry it or bake it, grill it, something like that. And it just doesn't hold up well to that type of, uh, you know, cooking. One thing that I've heard in addition to smoking, is that if you're able to cook it relatively fresh, 
that the bowfin tends to taste pretty good like other white meat fishes, but that there's something about the meat that it doesn't store well for long. And I think a lot of people might leave it too long and then it might start to get that cottony taste that you're talking about there, Tony. Yeah, I think the fact that the uh, scales are bigger and a little harder to cut through, a mouthful of teeth in a freshwater fish is not as normal, especially yeah. down south. When you get up north, you do get into like walleye and sauger and northern pike that have teeth, but a mouthful of teeth in a, down south, you normally in freshwater, you stay away from it. Another thing with respect to them being trash fish, I believe a lot of that probably is derived from uh, people wanting to enhance sport fisheries. As we know them, you know, down south, it's typically your largemouth bass. If you're trying to create sort of an artificial fishery that promotes a fish that's desirable, whether that's sunfish or bass or something like that, yeah, you don't necessarily want these fish competing with them. But when you're talking about natural ecosystems, it's good to have them around because they play an important role. And so I just think it's worth pointing that out. And I just think they're a cool looking fish. They're just cool. They're unique. I don't know. There's just something about them. They're special. Yeah. When I moved to Georgia from out west... It was one of the fish that was on my list that I had to make sure I caught along with some of those other gars and other fish I was really interested in. Also, it's one of those species that took me the longest to catch. I made a couple trips to the Okefenokee before I finally got one. My very first trip, within 15 minutes, I'd hooked up with a 20 plus inch fish that eventually, you know, their mouths are so bony and so hard that it's really hard to actually get anything embedded in there. And so after fighting it for about 10, 15 seconds, it was tail walking around and it threw the hook. And I didn't hook up with another one for several years. We've actually run into them. We have a, a project that we do down at uh, Avon Park Bombing Range down in South Florida. And while we were out there working on uh, aquatic vegetation, nuisance and uh, invasive vegetation on this canal, we kept seeing fish coming to the top of the water. And this is something that's fairly unique for bowfin is that they're actually air breathers. They come to the surface and they will gulp air. They use their swim bladder partially as a lung. And so they can come up and gulp air. So we're seeing, seeing all these fish kind of pop in the surface and not sure what it was. So we had rods with us. So we did a little sampling and sure enough, we started catching both in left and right. What'd you use for a lure? We were actually using a gulp shrimp, huh. like a plastic scented shrimp from a yep. gulp for like saltwater fishing. That scent would draw them in and they would bite and hold on to it. Okay. Interesting. I think it's worth mentioning that these fish tend to have not great eyesight, and they tend to be relying a lot on smell. That isn't to say that you can't catch them using visual cues and stuff, but that a lot of times you, you want to use something that's either smell-based or get something really close on top of them. Yeah, I was thinking like some surface water kind of popping, maybe a frog or something where they can hear it and go after it. Down here on the St. John's River, they have a lot of bass tournaments, and I hear the bass fishermen talk about buzz baits being hit by bowfin quite frequently. Okay. And I wonder in terms of their teeth, I mean, are we talking a leader in terms of them chopping line? Do you have to have any kind of special setup for dealing with their teeth? Not so much. Just a pair of pliers to recover your hook. Okay. I've used six pound test and haven't had an issue. I've noticed that like on spinners, they don't tend to take it super deep like a pike or something would. 
That said, I've read about people using 40-pound braid, which sounds excessive to me. I've also, you know, I know people who fly fish for them. Actually, the first one that I ever caught, I was out with a couple fly fishermen, and I got very upset because I was fishing off this dock. We paddled in like five hours into the Okefenokee, and I'd been fishing off this dock with my trusty spinner that I like to use. Eventually, I stopped to set up my tent. My buddy take a few casts with his fly rod, and he just catches one. And so then I just stormed off in my kayak in a huff, just kept going down the trail. I'm like, I'm not coming back until I catch a bowfin. And uh, <laughs> usually just fishing harder and angrier doesn't do the trick. It's going to make you a worse fisherman. But uh, after about 15 minutes, I was able to get one. There you go. So nice. I actually told that story to help win over my roommates and get this lease that I got on this house. I'm living with two women now. Oh my now, gosh. <laughs> and they were not very, my Facebook account, I set it up. I didn't put any pictures or anything on. They were not very, they were very nervous, but I, I won them over with my both end stories. Nice. Good job. Um, in terms of handling this fish, so say you catch one, you've got that mouthful of teeth. Is, are, are there any handling tips in terms of keeping yourself safe and also keeping the fish safe if you don't want to eat it? Uh, if you're, if you're not going to keep it, if you can keep it, you know, in the water and then just use a pair of pliers or a hook remover to reach in there, you don't want to get too close in case they do lunge at you. Yeah. Can I tell my wrestling a bowfin story or trying to? I like the bowfin too much to leave this one out. This is before I was ever even able to catch one, but me and Victoria and Alex, we were hanging out down below the spillway of this dam Victoria noticed in that sort of corner, this kind of space, there's this bowfin hanging out. And so I was feeling bold and, you know, trying to impress the ladies and whatnot. I got down, I kind of crossed my ankles behind me, I was on my knees and getting down, I was trying to corner it and just try and grab it. And I felt, it, I could see its dorsal fin start to move, you know, just start to undulate, wiggle back and forth. And its face came right into my cupped hands and it paused for about a second. Oh. And then it just, I like that you used the word torpedo in your description earlier, Tony, because this thing just came out like a rocket up into my chest down. And even though I had my legs crossed behind me, it went right through my legs. And we spent the rest of the afternoon just looking for it. And it was just cruising and trying and failing to try and grab this thing. But I've since made a pair of sane pants so that I'm going to go back. And I'm going to find <laughs> one one of these times. And I'm going to have my legs crossed and it's going to go right into the basket. I, I'm sure. Some like MC Hammer pants. The weight line kind of goes from ankle to ankle. Oh, my. And I can rip like it off. Suit. I got these cords on it so that once it's in there, I can rip it off <laughs> and just basically have it in there. I'll show you. It's going to work. It sounds like a wrestling character <laughs> or something. That's awesome. Anyhow. Tony, we like to ask this question kind of towards the end, but why should people care about this fish? Bowfin are so unique, and they're so cool with the way that they look and move through the water. Being that they're one of the top predators, they help control other species that start to get out of hand. They're a good uh, biological control for like invasives. Which you guys got a lot down in Florida, a lot of invasive fishes down there. Funny thing is, part of this tribal canal, we were down at Loxahatchee National Wildlife Refuge, shocking up some gar and bowfin to take to the tribe. And one of the bowfin that I picked up out of the water after it had been electrofished had a walking catfish in its mouth. So That's awesome. <laughs> we got pictures of it 
with you know on the boat with this catfish in its mouth where it had been trying to eat it when we came up on it with the shocking boat. Yeah, be curious to see what's in their stomachs. I bet it's just all kinds of crazy aquarium species and yeah, non-native species. Oh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's cool. Are there any other messages that you'd like to share with folks about the work you guys are doing at the hatchery or just about this fish in general that we've missed? Wallachia is a hatchery that is unlike just about any other hatchery you'll visit. So we can talk about bowfin and that it's the first hatchery to ever purposely raise bowfin for any request but at this hatchery we also raise snakes eastern indigo snakes we help raise florida grasshopper sparrows which is one of the most endangered birds in the country right now as well as restoration for other fish like gulf striped bass and atlantic run striped bass in st john's river so uh yeah we do uh, a lot kind of isolated facility so we're just happy to be able to, you know, work with something as cool and unique as bowfin. You know, anytime we can come up with a new species that we can raise and it becomes productive for conservation or to meet our tribal trust or recovery efforts, things like that, then that's just another gold star that we can pit up. And that's something that we can feel good about the work that we're doing here. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Tony, for joining us. Thanks, Tony. It was a fun conversation. All right, thank you. Get out there and enjoy all the fish, especially the bowfin. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick, and my co-host is Guy Eero. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert. Production management by Gabriella Montaquin. Post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. 